This morning's reading is called Follow the Ones Who Know the Way by Taj James. If your mind and eyes are open, heart beating, skin tingling in relationship, then bearing the heartbreak of these times can be much too much to bear. And yet, from the flames, floods, and foreclosed futures flies forth. The future itself, alive in the present, a continuation of the best we have ever been, leading now, leading today, for the sake of all of us. Brilliant, bold, and beautiful, healing, creating, and cooperating. Young people, children, calling us back into our shared humanity, reminding us that we are a part of and responsible to everything that is the entire web of life. Our ancestors' wildest hopes, filling the streets and halls of power with their passion and solutions. The courageous ancestors that our descendants will need now more than ever, reminding us of who we truly are and who we've always been one, many, and one, interconnected, interdependent, broken open, and whole. Nature itself defending itself from the violence, domination, and extraction that the lie of separation and supremacy has wrought. Generations are rising. Human beings that know in their bones that we all belong. Fundamentally, that we all deserve love, care, and community. Unquestionably, that our beauty and strength, that the secret to humanity's thriving and our collective future is to be found in exactly the places where we have been, excluded, wounded, marginalized, and made invisible in the beauty and complexity found beyond the binaries. Unapolo unapologetically, young people know that what is saving us, what is lifting us up and beyond amidst the collapse of the old stories and lies is their creativity, their power, and their love. What is saving us is women's leadership in queering everything. What is saving us is indigenous, sovereignty, stewardship, and wisdom. What is saving us is black genius and black joy. And that the only thing that can save us is remembering how to create welcome and a place at the table for all travelers and newcomers and the gifts they bear. Humanity is in motion like never before and generation transformation is rising. The time has come for all of us to follow the children, for they know the way. To follow the young people, for they have the power. The way to liberation and the power to heal and create and transform. The time has come to ask and to listen. No, no, really, to listen. What do you need? What do you dream? What is your superpower? 
And what can we do to support you to bring forth your gifts together? The time has come to tell them and show them you are loved. We have got your back and you don't have to do it alone. The future is yours and the time has come. Follow the children for they know the way. Just about two and a half years ago, this congregation undertook an experiment. Do you remember two and a half years ago, pre-COVID times? If you do, you're lucky. (laughs) I know I'm not alone. For some of us, it feels like this pandemic has been here with us much longer than two years. But anyway, two and a half years ago, just about, an experiment occurred, which is great. Church is and should continue to be an experiment. I know we love and appreciate the sense of sanctuary and stability a place like this can provide, but religious communities can have both and do it well. I'm convinced they can, and we have. And so on that day of a winter congregational meeting, this congregation voted to adopt what's called the eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism. It was adopted with a lot of enthusiasm, but really, and and don't misunderstand me here, it's not the adoption of it that I find to be the most crucial part of what happened. Because what I remember the most from that meeting two and a half years ago were the heartfelt, open, vulnerable, and powerful conversations that happened right here in this room. The stories that people shared, the journeys of coming to accept the eighth principle, to question it, to wrestle with it, embrace it, struggle with it, perhaps not even still be sure about it, but to still share openly and vulnerably. And ultimately, this congregation voted to accept it, to make it a part of the bedrock of who we are. Whether or not it was adopted that day, in those testimonies and stories, it was clear that the ethic that the eighth principle expressed was already present in the hearts and minds of the congregation. Now, this is an important distinction to make, especially today in 2022, where threats to our values that we hold dear as a religious people, democracy, freedom, equality, equity, dignity, to name just a handful of them, those threats are sweeping nations near and far. It's important to be clear that our values are not a matter of printing them in black and white, but a matter of the heart. No despot, wannabe, totalitarian, political pundit, extremist, fundamentalist, or elected official fallen from grace can ever take away your values from your heart. Ever. Ever. And so on that day, nearly two and a half years ago, we were amongst the first handfuls of congregations to adopt this new venture, to make it official that here at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington, we are part of the unfolding living tradition that we hold dear. Now, if you're new to Unitarian Universalism, or you have a case of pandemic amnesia like many of us do, the eighth principle is a proposed addition to our core seven principles. You can find our seven principles, if you're wondering what those are, 
in our hymnals online. You can find little pocket cards in the foyer if you want to take a look at them. Become familiar with them. You don't have to memorize them, but just become familiar with them. They're everywhere in Unitarian Universalist spaces. While the first seven have a natural order to them, beginning with the worth and dignity of people and ending with a sense of connection with everything. I shared this last week. I feel the eighth principle is a wake-up call. Great, yes, honor individual worth and dignity, great. Yes, indeed, cherish and advocate for democracy. Engage the spiritual quest with responsibility and curiosity. And yes, absolutely, yes, feel that connection to life. With a capital L-I-F-E, life. It's all great. But remember, our values require our active participation. And in the very least, that's what the eighth principle has become for us. A reminder of our part in all of our values. Since we've adopted, the Canadian Unitarian Council, the entire nation of Canada, has adopted it. They changed the wording a bit. Dozens of other congregations across the United States have adopted it. And yes, while there's been plenty of moments like what happened here, vulnerable, real, honest, what I would call spiritual sharing, what remains for us and for everyone else who's adopted this eighth principle is the continued application of it to our lives, to this congregation, and in everything we do. Now, here's a refresher in case you forgot the wording of the eighth principle. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful compared to our other principles, and it's not yet finalized. But here's an aside, just to make things extra fun. There's a national commission looking at if and how we might change all of our principles, all of our purposes, all of our sources. Without getting too much into that monumental task, people have tried it before. <laughs> we as a congregation, and I feel this is what I can contribute to this right now, I want all of us as a congregation to remember that in this association, we have a voice and a part to play in that discussion and that process. Just remember that we have a voice and a part to play. And so, yes, we adopted this very wordy experiment in being a living tradition, this unfinished thing that is still moving through congregations, moving through what it means to even be a principle. And here we are. How are we doing with it? might seem like an unfair question. Two years of a global pandemic kind of rocked many of our plans into implementing this into our congregational life. But we have done much and always more can be done. Just a couple examples. Our relationship with BUILD, Building United Interfaith Lexington through direct action is a beautiful thing. Our partners for racial justice, yes, that too. Our increasing commitment to accessibility, Absolutely. And we could go on and on. But here's one major area where I feel like we could turn our attention as a congregation. Now, I say this with 
love looking back at seven years here. I feel this congregation has come a long way in the seven years I've served here in learning to trust and love itself more and more and more. Not that you didn't love and trust this place, but that it's grown, right? It's gone roots deep into the foundation of who we are. It's a love that invests and owns and shares the good and right you've discovered here. And for not to just be the same 40 people that are doing that, but for that love and trust to slowly grow beyond that. Now, as always with everything, right? Life, we have a long way to go. Many of you were shocked to hear that a third of the congregation doesn't support you, UCL, in any way. Some of you asked me, that can't be possible. Some of you said, my numbers say something different. And then the numbers slowly showed that that was true. But you were also shocked to hear that I did not despair at that news. That I found that that was an opportunity for each and every one of us in this congregation to do good work, hopeful work. It's not an invitation to despair, but an opportunity. It's an invitation to nurture the leadership of each and every one of us to foster deeper connections in the congregation and to grow the congreg into the congregation we want to be. It's not just about numbers, it's about the people we have. One helpful thing COVID has given many of us is the ability to look at things as they were pre-COVID and laugh at their absurdity. We need not toil with the old problems that we thought this congregation had in the past. Leave them behind. The opportunity is to be the congregation you want to be. And to those who are wondering if, when, how, maybe, of joining in on this journey called the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington, you are invited. There is a welcome mat right there. It is a neon sign blinking, but that train is leaving the station. It cannot sit and wait because this congregation has places to go. Our values, our tradition, this place with so many wonderful, loving people needs to move into its full potential. So what does that have to do with the eighth principle? I would contend that one of the greatest oppressions that progressive folks succumb to is complacency and stagnation. Those are words that often echo what Dr. King said. One of my favorite bumper stickers that I see every now and then goes like this. If you're not paying, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention, right? The origins of that saying are unknown, but it goes back to the 70s at least, maybe the late 60s. And really, we could parse the words if we want all day. Does that mean be angry all the time? Absolutely not. It's about paying attention. It's about looking at the world as it is and because we are people who care, who live our values, who have high hopes, who are spiritual, religious, because we are Unitarian Universalists, we look to the world as it is and say, no. I believe in a world yet to come. How can I live that today? How can I advocate for it? How can I bring about the beloved community in some impactful way, however small or grand it may be? It's looking to the state of Texas and Florida and their recent anti-LGBTQ efforts, along with about 18 other states across our country, targeting our trans siblings and queer teenagers and saying, no, not today, love and justice will win because we will be a force of love and justice. It's looking to the damaging and deep divides in American politics and rejecting the invitation to fall into the pit and wallow in it. And instead saying, I believe in democracy and I will fight for it fiercely. 
It's calling out our elected leaders. It's remembering democracy is about the people. And while we may not agree with the voice of the people, we will still ensure it's a voice that is possible in the first place. It's looking to the continued inequities from racial justice, immigration justice, gender injustice, the list could go on, and the distractions that people would rather have you focus on. And it's choosing to stretch beyond our discomfort, to make leaps and bounds with uncertainty, and to realize the beloved community is not beloved until we address the oppressions before us here in this space, in Lexington and beyond. It's looking at how we do church, looking at how we embody church. It's looking at the disagreements churches are famous for. Potlucks and music are two that come to my mind. And maybe in UU churches, joys and sorrows. Anyone on the worship team knows that. Dare I even bring it up. It's looking to those time sinks that churches often want to lean into, spend energy on, and instead lean into being beloved and being church. What does that mean? Making radical hospitality a part of every conversation we have. The rest will follow. Those were just three examples, but they all have the same overarching themes. Will we be a people of welcome? Will we be a people of commitment? Will we be a people of care? And none of this is as if we are a hostile, unwelcoming pit of vipers that don't care about justice, beloved community, or caring for one another. If anyone ever tells you that, you can just laugh. We are not. This is a loving community, right? This serves as a reminder that the eighth principle calls us to continually ask, what can the individual and the gathered people do to build the beloved community? It's about you, but it's also not about you or me. It's about us. And that is the juggling act that we get to enjoy. Our own spiritual growth and our spiritual growth as a community, both always every day. It's about the world out there and the world in here, both, always, and every single day. It's about having a place of sanctuary and uplift and a place of change and challenge, both, always, and every single day. It's about immersing ourselves fully in this living tradition. Episcopalians have a great turn of phrase for the spiritual life. Inwardly digest. I absolutely love that. It becomes visceral. It becomes about gastric juices and churning stomachs, but also nutrients spreading throughout the entirety of your body. And yeah, if you want to go all in on that image, I'll go there. It's about getting rid of what is no use to you and flushing it down the toilet. That's part of digestion too. Immerse, digest. There are no passive observers. And maybe that's the root of some of our struggles. The idea we can passively observe and claim the we. Well, we did that and that and that on the sidelines. If all you hear today is a call to justice, great. You are likely hearing what you need to hear. If you're hearing a call to spiritual growth, same thing. If you're hearing a call to community growth, that too. If you hear all three, amen. Our values, our principles, all eight of them, and what's yet to come, whatever's yet to come, invite us into a mutual relationship with this community.
And in that mutuality, here is my hope for all of us. My hope is that we discover we have everything we need to live out our values already. Everything we need. I've said it often lately, and I mean it. You, the gathered people, have everything you need to make this place come alive. Sure, it'd be nice, sorry Sally, I'm putting you on the spot, if our music director was full-time with benefits. Same with our other staff. Some of you don't know, I'm the only full-time staff person. It'd be great if that changed. Imagine what would be possible. But you have it within your power to change that. You have it within your power to be the church. You have it within your power to be the church you want to be. You don't need my permission for this. A minister worth their weight in salt lives with these words on their heart. There go the people. I must follow them, for I am their leader. Now, I say all of this as I'm about to go on sabbatical, right? Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Have fun. But all of this, this morning and the preceding few Sunday mornings have been reminders that you, the church, have everything you need to build upon what is already good and right in this place. And one of my goals for when I get back from sabbatical is to live out what I feel is my part of the eighth principle. Our ministry, the ministry of this church, is called to ever-deepening mutuality. Some people like to call it shared ministry. There's books written on it. I'm tired of that phrase. I think it goes deeper than that. Mutuality, interdependence, connection. Those are the words on my heart, at least. So that's what I believe and what I hope. You have what you need to deepen your ministry as a congregation, your commitment, your part in the gathered people. I believe that is the sustainable way for communities such as ours to thrive right now and in the future, to know that we all have a part the eighth principle we adopted, it isn't just about justice out there. It also isn't just about justice in here. It's about looking at how we do and be church and asking ourselves if that's in our best interests or if that will have us thrive in deep, ever deepening ways. It's about asking ourselves if there isn't a better way to grow into this community be a part of the unfolding story that is this place. I feel that's my call as your minister, to facilitate that deepening mutuality. And that is the call I pledge to live out upon my return from sabbatical. And so may your goals as a congregation these next few months be rewarding and illuminating. You already have what you need to be the church. Go and be. Amen.